episode 16 of the Global Gamers Podcast. Back at it for another week, and uh, we are going to be reviewing a very dwarfy game today, and that is Nidavellir. Ooh, say that again. Nidavellir, am I saying that right? Yes, you caught on. Oh, excellent. You, so Ed was coaching me on how to say this earlier, because his North Mythology game is stronger than me. Well, actually, I have a confession. Yeah. The only reason I actually know that is because of Avengers Infinity War. Because <laughs> I think... Yeah, they go to the dwarf planet to, like, mend Thor's axe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We forgot about uh-huh. that part. And there's the giant dwarf that is super ironic, because it's giant but a dwarf. Yeah. And then, like, Groot, cut, Groot cuts off his hand and turns it into the axe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I so. <laughs> I'm, I'm not as wise as I made it seem at first. Well, it's it's funny too because usually I'm the one coming in with the pop culture references, but you have uh, you've I taken the crown for that. Finally, having week. my day. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, should we get into talking about this game because uh, yeah, you just it. introduced this game to me, so we just sure finished did. playing it, and yeah, so I think this we is both have be, a lot of thoughts. Yeah, this is going to be a first impressions review mm-hmm. episode, and. Just to give a rundown on the theme of this game, like we said, it is dwarf-themed, and if you didn't get enough of dwarves in Peter Jackson's Hobbit trilogy, this is the game for you, because there are it's dwarves all the way down. And they're better looking than some of the Hobbit dwarves, yeah, who were a little too not dwarvish but anyway true too, too many pop culture references <laughs> Pushing our luck here. um yeah so tell me about the theme because having played the game i basically don't know it still so basically how the theme works is you have a dwarf kingdom that has lived at peace for millennia but are now threatened by a dragon as dwarves often are okay and so we have this this dragon that we've got to create this band of warriors to go and confront and fight. And so... Smog. Yeah. That's <laughs> what it is. I didn't want to say it, but... It's okay. I mean, it is what it is, I guess. Like, I guess that's just uh, all saying that um, at the end of the day, the theme of this game is super thin. It basically doesn't apply to the game, so you kind of have to fill in the gaps of... Yes. what the theme allegedly is with whatever knowledge you bring from Tolkien or Norse mythology or Thor's corner of the Marvel universe. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny too, because I mean, you say that the theme is kind of thin on this game and just to illustrate that point a little bit more, I was just thumbing through the instruction manual to find what the name of the dragon is. And I could, we didn't get that it. far. I yeah. couldn't even find it. it but I'm just sitting there. I don't want it to sound like, you know, again, down in this game, because ultimately... It's, it's a fun game. The theme is beside the point, because you don't need it. Because the game itself is pretty good. Nita Valir, um, released in 2020. It is just outside the overall 200 all-time on BGG, which is pretty great. 144 in strategy, 31 in family games. Has a complexity rating of 2.1 out of 5, mm-hmm. which I think is spot on. Yeah. Um, plays accessible. two to five players in about 45 minutes. And it is designed by Sergey Lajet. And the art is done by Jean Marie Minguez. 
and it's published by GRRE Games, which sounds kind of like J.R.R. Tolkien or George R.R. Martin, both yeah. of which have dwarves in their work. <laughs> um, one thing I'll say about um, the artwork is I really like it because it reminded me a lot of the Miko artwork from the Garfield games. It's similar. So much so that I actually like looked, I was looking through the rule book at first and then I looked on the box to check if it was the same artist. Yeah. It's not, but it has a similar vibe. It's a little bit less expressive yeah. and comic booky in that way, but if you like it, you'll like this too. Yeah. Um, from the same well of inspiration, shall we say. Yeah, and at first I wasn't sure how I'd feel about um, all the artwork being black and white, but I think it works really well in this game because um, the cut, like the colors that you see in the game are specifically affiliated with the different dwarf clans, so it helps yes. you know, organize things very easily doesn't visually overstimulate you it's really really nice really elegant while still looking really high quality yes definitely. yeah so what should we get one. into what the actual game is yeah let's get into it we've got a yeah. little bit of set collection a lot of set collection yeah yeah that's the the main entree here and a fair bit of auction too do you want yes. to talk through what yeah so basically objective is yeah so basically this this game is played over two phases what's the term they two use ages ages yes um each one you'll get four turns so you're basically going to have a total of eight turns in this game eight rounds and that does with kind of a midpoint count Okay, bit. well, for a two-player game we just played. And so basically what each turn is going to look like is you have these coins, and you will get to, like, basically draft three cards from a common area, three different um, taverns. guilds, taverns that they set up for you. Each one has a couple of cards in it, and whoever bids the highest coin will get first pick. Mm -hmm. So basically what you're trying to do on each turn is balance between upgrading your coins so that you can place better bids in the future or drafting a card to add to one of your sets mm -hmm. so there are five different types of dwarves so they're basically color-coded so there's like orange red blue purple green mm -hmm. they all have slightly more thematic names but again like yeah. it doesn't really matter but basically right. each color um has its own kind of unique quirk to it so the blue ones are pretty straightforward you just get the printed point value on it the, the explorers right mm -hmm. yes the you can you can help me with the thematic names so sure. the greens and the purples yes so the greens are the hunters mm -hmm. and do, did you want me to go over the scoring for that i was just going to do the greens and the purples together because they're so similar sure yeah the so purples are what the, the craftsmen and the I think the purple are craftsmen. Yeah, they have like a hammer symbol. And basically the way we're blacksmiths. Blacksmiths, yeah. okay. The way that both of those work is basically you have a little board that has a score tracker on it, and it's basically the more of them you have, up to 15, the higher points you get. So if you have one of the green hunters, you get one point. If you have five, you get 25 points. If you have 10, it's 100 points. And then if you have 15, it's 225. Yeah. And so the purple ones, on. the blacksmith, sure. basically works the same way. Yeah. And then you have the red ones that will also, like the blue, have printed point values on them. Mm -hmm. But also, if you have the most of them at the end of the game, you also get to cash in 
um, points equal to the value of your highest coin. And we can talk about upgrading the coins um, in a minute. Yeah. And then the final dwarf class is miners, the orange yes. ones. And basically the way those work is like, they have pretty low point values printed on them. So you'll add that up and then you'll multiply it at the end by the number of those dwarves that you have. Yeah. So if you have 11 of them and you had 10 points on the cards printed combined, you'd then multiply it so you'd get 110 points. Exactly. This is a pretty high scoring game, like yeah. Earth that we talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah, 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 definitely a little bit of an ego boost in the point scoring department. For this. Yes, another inflation um, point game. <laughs> yes. And then the coin upgrading. So basically all you do for that is you start off with five coins, mm -hmm. zero, two, three, four, five. Yes. And you want to tell us about how you basically get better coins going up to 23, right? Up to 25. 25, okay. And so, yes, as Ed said, you have your basic starting hand coin. And this is, I think, the closest you're getting. It's Well, I won't even really say engine building because you're not really building on it. But you're kind of like, it's a little tech tree for your currency. So mm -hmm. you have this card, the, the one coin that's worth zero. And if you play that coin, instead of drawing a dwarf card, drafting, drafting yeah. a dwarf card, you look at the two values of your coins that you did not play this round. Mm -hmm. Because you have five coins and you only bid three per round. Exactly. And you take the value of those two coins that you didn't play this round, add them together, and then that total is the value of the new coin that you'll get. So if you didn't play a two and a seven, you add that up to get nine, and mm -hmm. you replace your higher value of those two coins, the seven, and get a nine instead. Yeah. So, so you're gradually upgrading the value of your coins so that you can, one, have higher coins than your opponent and win bids, bids more easily, but also it helps with late game scoring because at the end of the game, you're adding up the value of all your coins as right. well. To and your plus, score. if you had, again, the most of those red right. um, military dwarves. The warrior dwarves. Yes. yes. Um, then you also get to add the value of your highest coin. So I think I had like five or six of them in our game, mm -hmm. and you had two. So I got to add my yeah. coin that was valued at 15, yeah. um, which, you know, it was helpful. It wasn't enough to win me the game, but it was worth something. Yeah. Um, it helps. Yeah. Um, so it's a pretty streamlined game. Yes, it's very The quick. only way that like the gameplay kind of changes and gets a little bit more flavorful mid-game is that switch between the ages. Yes, you're which, right. Which um, kind of, and then also, which will usually happen around that same time, is you'll get to draft one of the leader dwarves. So you want to mm -hmm. talk a bit about... Um, the leaders and the cards that you get between ages sure. that are like power-ups that are like rewarding you for committing to certain factions of dwarves. Yeah, that's right. So as Ed said, um, the halfway point of the game is crucial. And basically what happens at the halfway point is you have a little bit of a halftime show that gives <laughs> you some bonuses that are going to help you for the second half of the game. And what this is called is troop evaluation. 
and basically you are performing for the dwarf king and he's seeing how your dwarves stack up this is very like 1960s red square vibes a little bit a little bit and so basically how it works is there's a bonus for each of the five classes of dwarves and whoever of the players playing has more dwarves at the end of the first half of the game in each category gets that bonus so for instance the warriors get to select one of their coins and trade it in for a coin that's worth five points higher right um meanwhile the explorer gets to select three cards from the top of the deck of dwarves and play one of them for free i got really unlucky with that one because i ended up drawing three of the same dwarf so yeah wasn't as much of a choice as i would have liked yeah but it's still nice getting a free play yeah that's a bummer yeah um, um if that's basically how they work yeah and so yeah. yeah some of the bonuses are a little bit better than others but um that gives kind of a rough overview yeah and they're all positive and they're all positive the the other thing that we can talk about briefly is the heroes yes those are really cool i think those are like even more fun than the troop inspection cards. Yes, they definitely are. And the way the heroes work is these are souped-up special dwarves. Think Gimli, Gimli <laughs> class dwarves here. Uh, they're from the line of Durin. They are definitely from the line of Durin. <laughs> and what they do is, you, you know, they they have more scoring potential, but they're harder to get. Like in the average game. If you play it right, you may be going to get four or five. And, like, yeah. we didn't even get close to that. No. So, I mean, play. we just played. I had one. You had two. Yeah. Um, but given, like, that was that was my first time playing, it was, what, your second or third? Yeah, I've pl- played a few times. And, honestly, the this one, just the way the cards came out, we just didn't have as many opportunities to acquire them. Because, right. Okay. That's good to know. Because, yeah. I guess, like, my perspective is a little skewed, having only played once in terms of what I think is realistic. Yeah, like, I got four or five last time. Because what happened is, um, the way you get these, which we should explain here at the top, is that every time you get a set of five, one of each faction color, you get to select a hero from the pile. And they offer different benefits. Some of them just offer you straight up points. Some of them will like be more catering to their faction. So for instance, for the minor ones where you're multiplying the number of dwarves by the like numerals that appear on the cards, they so the, the the hero one will count for multiple dwarves in a row yeah and we'll also have a number on it so it just like so even though it's one card it adds three to your multiplier value which is nice exactly yeah so it's like playing three for one and i had a similar one as well with the um blacksmith faction yes where again like the more of those blacksmith symbols you have the more points you get on that tracker yeah all the way through 15 and my blacksmith hero gave me three whereas all the other cards just give you one yeah um 
precisely. Yeah. I mean, those are those are two like pretty similar examples, but there is a good bit of variety in that deck so that if you yes. have different yes. strategies, you can, you know, specialize it to what works for you. That's right. And but I really like that they included that in the base game even because it feels yes. like some other games that's the kind of thing that would come in an expansion. Yeah. Um perhaps. But I, I really enjoyed that bit. Yeah. And there are so that covers the basic heroes. There's there's basically two classes of heroes in this game. The basic ones are dwarf heroes that belong to one of the five factions in the game. But then we also have a class, a bunch of dwarf heroes that are mercenaries in a way. Well, okay. Well, I won't use that term because it's a term that's used in one of the expansions for a different set of cards. But they're basically without a class, okay. without a faction. And they have different powers and abilities that don't mesh with those of any of the five factions. So, Excellent. Cool. Um, so that's, that's basically it for the base game. This is a quick game. I mean... Um, do you want to get into gameplay tips? Yeah, yeah, we could get into that a little. I feel like even having only played it once, I have a few things that it's actually. I think this is a good thing coming from a different perspective of like oh. things that I realized I didn't pick up on during the first play. Well, let's that I missed, and now I'm like, oh, that actually would have made a big deal. So it's helpful, I think. Well, let's start there then, like. In, you know, rather than going directly to like, oh, this is how you win the game. Like, what, yeah. are, what are just some things like, oh, I wish I'd realized this sooner, or I yeah. wish I'd known this before. Well, I mean, the winning the game is is points at the end of the day. Yeah. But um, one of the things is I maybe this was me not exactly paying attention to the details was um undervaluing a bit the point of upgrading the coin values right. because i think particularly in a two-player game in each of the different taverns there are three cards to choose from and there's only two of us and most of the time there's probably going to be at least two cards that you're interested in yeah to a certain extent in each guild so i kind of didn't care as much if you outbid me right and if you're sacrificing um being able to like get cards to upgrade your coins it kind of felt to me like a better deal to just get more dwarves and stack them up and build up you know my you know i went really heavy on the blacksmiths yeah um and i wanted like all 15 so i really just went gung-ho for that and kind of fell behind on the coin value but then i realized at the end that when you add up all the coins at the end it actually is a lot of points so like i ended up with a total value of coins at 33 and you had 53 and you know like that didn't quite like make the game for you but you beat me by about just 30. about 30 points yeah. there was 20 of the points right there yeah That's um true. and if i hadn't seeded that as much you know it would have closed the gap yeah and then the other thing for me was um maybe it's just i needed more time to look at the cards but the the heroes um, I kind of went for like the most obvious one to yes. kind of pile on yes. to what I was doing at the blacksmiths. And I think understanding a bit more of how the wild ones worked might have changed my strategy. Maybe not. And then also just like realizing and keeping up, paying attention to like making sure I had complete sets yes. to get more heroes instead of maybe, you know, getting all 15 
um, blacksmiths. Like maybe I should have maybe settled around, you know, 11 or 12 blacksmiths. And instead I could have gotten an extra hero or two, which ultimately might've netted more points. Yeah. But, um, other than that, like this is a pretty easy game to learn. It, it kind of falls in that category with other games we've talked about, like, um, Azul and Unmatched, and we haven't you know reviewed it yet, but we've talked a bit about Cascadia at times, sure. where it's one of those games that, and even even Wingspan, which we also haven't reviewed, shockingly, um, where it's it's easy to learn and very accessible, but there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, material to mine, yeah. Um, yeah. for people who I, I really metaphor here. yes, who really want to um, extract the high value minerals, you know. Yeah, there is there are many layers to this game. Yeah, yeah, and I I like give it, like given the simplicity of how easy it is. To yeah, and I mean like obviously some of my favorite games are ones that are a little bit more complex and that not everybody is gonna want to play. Like you know Wayfarers of the South Tigris, Everdell, with some of those expansions thrown in. Yeah, Scythe, those kinds of games. Um, but there is there is something like really special about having a game that is medium weight that you will get to play more often with more people because you know it's easier to teach easier to learn takes less time to play less setup and takedown but you're still gonna get like a an intellectual challenge out of it yes even if it's not quite as intense it's still gonna feel satisfying and that's what i, I really liked about this yeah um yeah that might be jumping ahead a little bit, but um, it just it just is kind of to say that I don't really have many tips because yeah, the strategy is going to be different every time, and it's really a matter of personal preference, and then also a little bit of luck with what comes up in the deck. Yeah, what about you? I mean, honestly, I think the strategy for this game is pretty straightforward in the sense that you're you're usually not going to have more than one of the taverns that's going to be like highly contested because like you said people are doing different strategies and like you can usually get some kind of points out of most of the coins i think the one time maybe it you could see it getting more contested is if there's one class that just hasn't come up very much and both people need it to complete some yes. heroes but like bidding wars i don't know didn't have have not happened as frequently as I expect. Have you played at higher player counts yet? I have not yet. That, okay. I think I'd be interested to see how that affects some. it. Yeah. That would change it some. Um, for sure. The first thing I would tell somebody approaching this game for the first time is every round, make a mental note of which tavern you don't really care about. Like which one... Which one could take the zero. Yeah. If you one, wanted to throw down the zero. zero. Yeah. And like... I would say more often than not, it pays off to upgrade your coins. Now, I will say with a caveat here, there's one ambiguity in the rule that we're still not quite sure which way it goes, and that is whether or not you get to select a dwarf at all when you play your zero. Mm -hmm. um, we have been playing it where you do not select one just to kind of balance out the fact that you are, you know playing a zero playing, playing a zero <laughs> yeah. but, but but to but to like compensate for the fact that you're getting a more high-powered coin out of it yeah and so 
introducing more of a cost-benefit analysis into it. And I find the game plays really fun in that way, but I will say that probably is going to lead to, well, obviously lower scoring and um, constrict your decision space a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, you say that, but we still ended up in the mid-200s with scoring. Yes, so we did. So it's not like it's... You're not going to be short for points. Yeah. yeah. True. Um, cool. Any other tips? Um, well, I think the other tip I would say is it definitely pay a fair bit of attention to the distinctions, those bonuses you get at the halfway point of the game. Um, you don't have to base your whole strategy about it, but I feel like to have a good chance of winning, you need at least one and ideally two of those that you win in a two-player game. Um, that's going to be different for higher player counts, but the other thing I'll say on that is the I think those bonuses are some of them are better than others. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they're like deliberately weighted differently to correspond to the faction strength. So like the factions that on their own the dwarves will ultimately score you more points, maybe the bonus isn't as good. And then the ones that are like not as high scoring have a better bonus. Yeah. So I, that'd be interesting to see. But that's the kind of thing that you'd figure out more with like more plays and or even if you could find like data online and forums about like the general consensus from a lot of playthroughs yes um yeah cool so do you want to move on to best and worst yeah yeah why don't we i think do you want to go first on your favorite thing about the game sure so i think my favorite thing about this game having only played it once is the simplicity um in some games that is not an asset but again as i was talking about before i think that this fits so well into that like mid low to mid weight game that's accessible that um you know, I didn't really even have to look at the rule book once. You just explained it to me in like five minutes. And yeah, yeah there are a couple of little things on the edges that I missed that, you know, fine. That's going to happen in any first playthrough. And yes. I'm not mad about it. It's fine. But like, I caught on so quickly to about 90% of everything. Yeah. And I could see a lot of different people doing that and having fun with it. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, even, like, the game itself also in terms of simplicity, like, the artwork, you have that, like, elegant grayscale, the symbols are very straightforward, the colors are just solid blocks, you're not going to mix up anything or confuse anything, it just feels like a very well-designed, streamlined experience, and I can think about other games, so when we do our um, little segment about recommendations, games that are similar to this... I have a couple things in mind yeah. that um, this reminded me of for better and for worse in certain ways. Yeah. But I think that this does it really well. What about you? Two points come to mind. The mm -hmm. first one is a small one, but a small one that I don't see a lot of games able to pull off. And that is because you're 
because you're you know doing so many auctions and because everyone is making their bids simultaneously this scales really well for higher player counts like base game is two to five players but like i don't picture this game being substantially longer with higher player counts no because the only thing you have to wait for it's kind of like it's kind of like quacks of quedlinburg in a way in that everybody's kind of doing their turn at the same time correct because all you're doing is everybody is deciding where to place their bitcoins at the same time and i guess like some people might take a little bit longer than others, but at the end of the day, it's it's three out of five coins every time. It's not like it's yeah. getting more complex every time. Correct. So, yeah, it's just it's going to keep going at a pretty brisk pace, and it's not like where you know in some engine building games, as you go further along in the gameplay, turns become longer and more complex, and you're chaining actions, and that's all great, but, like, this is, it's not going to happen in this game, so, like, you could keep it tight at yeah, higher player it, it doesn't happen as much, like, the other thing that might slow it down a little bit is when people are getting heroes and deciding which one to take and where to put them, um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I, I think this, this one scales better than a good number of other games, I think. Yeah, um, I mean, even other games of this weight, like, yes, I think this works really well in the same way that, like, um, something like Cascadia and Azul that I was thinking do really well, but then there are games like Unmatched, for example, that I think don't scale very well because there's just something about when you add higher player counts to certain game mechanics it kind of slows everything down. Yeah. Um, but that is not at all a problem in this game. Yeah. The other thing I like a lot about this game is, is that I really like the tension in the, the auction bidding system. Mm -hmm. Like, because I feel like most of the auction games that I've used, it's like, you're using or losing your coin that turn and there's yeah. not really a reason not to go all in like i mean yeah you have to choose which thing you want but you don't have a reason to like keep your powder dry whereas in this game there's that constant tension of like am i playing more for this turn or more for the next turn or yes more, more for the end so of the game? funny enough i actually played a game of citadels this morning yeah. and this gave me a very similar feeling um, in terms of, I mean, Citadel is not so much a bid when you're selecting which yes. character you want to use, but it is that same kind of feeling about like cost benefit, offense, defense, yeah. and like short term, long term, knowing when to play the right thing at the right time. Yes. Um, same thing kind of goes for a game like Conditori. Yeah. Um, lots of like people who like card bluffing games will have a good time with this, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, worst thing about this game, you want to kick it off this time? <laughs> Sure. I think I'm a little hesitant to say worst thing about this game, but I think first impression of this game that left me puzzled mm-hmm. is in the playthroughs I've done so far, I did very different strategies, but I ended up with almost identical scores. So right. it kind of leaves me wondering a little bit like, 
does it matter? How much does the different strategy really matter and how much is it going to make or break the scoring potential, the range potential of your Okay, score? counterpoint to that, why I think this may not be a bad thing. Yeah. One, that's a sign of it being well-balanced in yeah. that it's not broken where, you know what, if you've played it a couple times, everybody knows you go for the blue ones. Yeah. You know, because that wouldn't be fun after the first couple plays. Right. Um, and then the other thing, I guess, is like, it works because this game, again, like that 2.1 complexity rating, it's designed in a way so that you don't want people to have to overthink it and like yes. take a lot of time That's like true. making little hemming and hawing decisions about what they're going to do. That's true. And so it's like, as long as you are making smart decisions as long as you're drafting good cards when they show up you will do fine which also leads to point number three um more reason to pay more attention to the drafting and to upgrading your coins because you want to get good cards yeah and so like at the end of the day like you might have specialized in different things every time but you still specialized and like you minimize the number of turns where you're not getting cards that you didn't want. Yes. And so, like, I think maybe that's what it boils down to. Like, no matter what it is that you want, make sure you get it. It doesn't have to be, you know, the blue ones, but it just has to be. You have to, like, pick a strategy and go for it. And stick and Yeah, and, like, not let other people, like bully you out of it with right. the bits which right. some or like you know sometimes it's going to be in your control more than other times based on you know how the deck is shuffled and how other people bid and how aggressive other people are at taking your things but like that's part of it too maybe we i mean i think like in our game that we just played we were both just kind of we kind of we're doing passive about things. it yeah like we very well, much stayed out of each other's way but other people could take that a totally different way well and and i mean there were a couple times that i could have like thrown things a little bit like on that last turn you were able to get your the final blacksmith to like max out that point total and i contemplated taking that i i didn't take it i already had it that's why i'm surprised you i took one of the red ones oh yeah but it still right. got it did get me a lot of points though it was like a high point it was like an 8.1 i think that's what you're thinking yeah but there what there was a blacksmith in that selection as well right but yeah you, but like again, oh, I think the point was like yeah. you took what you needed more than yes stopping me from getting what I needed. Exactly. And again, I think that's just like exactly. it'd be interesting maybe to try playing that way at some point intentionally and seeing I don't think what happens. So I think I think what would happen is a player who is intentionally trying to stymie someone. My guess is in like a three or four player game. They would probably keep that player from winning, but I don't think they'd come close to winning themselves. It would probably mm -hmm. just benefit the bystanders. I could make a political reference, but I'm gonna not. We'll talk about that offline. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, okay, so um, my worst thing again. Yeah, I've only played this once. I don't have a worst. Um, the theme is stupid slash non-present so hey, i guess i'll say you, that you don't like the tolkien-esque elves or dwarves. dwarves see it's that dwarves. much i do and that's why i, I wish that like it was more more active in the game, in the game. Yeah. i mean i guess this is better than 
nothing and I like the aesthetic of the artwork so it's fine it's not even a worse it's just like I wish it was a little bit more involved like you know even some of those like Garfield games are not super thematic but like mm -hmm. you can easier like you know come up with something like create a little theme around it understand where they're coming from and how it might tie in whereas this it's kind of like we're looking outside the game to kind of spice up the theme a bit um yeah. but again like a game like this i don't really care that much it's fine yeah the gameplay is it stands on its own without need for much of a theme and i'll take the the kind of hairy some cute some ugly dwarves over this being you know yeah you know trading in the mediterranean or some you know even more like generic theme um yeah so with that um do you want to mention the expansions we haven't really played them yeah we haven't played it might them. be worth mentioning we haven't played them yet but i've read through the rule books just to get a sense of what they're adding okay so i'm happy to at least share that and yeah, we've got, get me excited to try them. Yeah, so we've got two expansions in this game. We have one called Thing Valir. Okay, I don't know if that's a real thing, but okay. <laughs> I, I think most of the terms are from mythology, so I, it's probably something there. Sure. But basically what this one does is, so you in the base game you've got the three different taverns you're recruiting dwarves from. And in this one, there's a new place where you can recruit from called the camp. Okay. And the camp has mercenary and artifact cards there. And the way this works is the person who wins each bid has a choice. They can take one of the three cards from the tavern or they can go and take a card from the camp instead. Okay. And That's cool. And after they take their card from the camp, they still select one of the tavern cards to discard. A, a couple interesting things about these mercenary cards. Um, they have multiple classes on them. So you've got some more flexibility. Like in the base game, every card is just one single door faction in the yeah. base cards, whereas these ones, they hybrid. Have, they, they have hybrid. They could be one or the other. You don't get to play them as both. You have to pick one or the other, but you have a little more flexibility there. Okay. And then the artifact cards basically just add certain abilities um, to your hand, sometimes at a cost. So I'll just give you one example. Uh, so that's one of the expansions. Okay. And the second expansion, and, well, in retrospect, I probably should have switched the order I did this one in, because this one changes the the base game even less than mm. Thing Valir. Uh, the other expansion is called Eidolvol, and this one basically just adds some mythological cards. So you get some... Valkyrie cards, you get some giant cards. Nice. You get some um there's a couple other claims. Norse gods. Yes, you get Norse gods, you get Valkyrie, you get giants, and you get mythological animals, four types. Very cool. And they and those basically just 
in the first age, you've got your three taverns, right? You, for the second tavern, instead of playing normal dwarf cards, you just play mythological cards there instead. Okay, cool. I dig it. I like I like the sound of those. They don't sound like they're like too um, intrusive on the flow of the base game, but they add a little bit of um, drama, which I think, especially when you get a few more plays in, would be nice to throw in. Yeah, I um, think it's a, a nice way to freshen it up a little bit, just because. I mean, there's yeah, like you said, some some. There's a lot of repetition in this. The deck. Yeah. So one thing I definitely do think we should do with this episode this week is our. Um, recommending a similar game yeah because you have one in mind you'd like to start with oh my gosh i have i have so many different directions i could go with this and i've kind of cheated already by naming some sure um i think i know which one you're gonna say so i'm not gonna take it i'm gonna go with a game that um we haven't talked about a lot if at all but it is one that uh i have a soft spot for and it is carnival of monsters yeah I almost said Citadels, but I'm going to go with Carnival of Monsters. And the reason I'm going with that is for those who don't know, and you may not know because it's not as big of a game, um, it's a 2019 game um, designed by Richard Richard Garfield of Magic the Gathering fame. And for those who are familiar with Seven Wonders or It's a Wonderful World, which I think are more popular, definitely Seven Wonders is you know a more well-known game. It is a card-drafting game. And basically, you're playing it over a bunch of rounds and passing around hands of cards mm-hmm. from this big deck that are comprised of like monsters, land, um, some like staff that you can hire, some like goal cards, and some you know event cards you can play instantly to get money and stuff. But the bulk of the deck is the monsters and the land, and they are in different. It's like very fantasy themed, and they're different ecosystems like fantasy lands. So there's the forest. The Enchanted Forest, which has like tree nymphs and wendigos and wyverns and like little like evil mushroom gnome kind of things. Yeah. And there's the depths <laughs> that has like Hydra and Leviathan and like Merfolk. And the Darklands has like Nosferatu and um, ghouls and stuff like that. And the cave has the magma beasts and the cave troll and very cool fantasy theme artwork. And basically what you're going to be doing is like you have to build up your land to be able to get monsters from that land that have like, um, like a certain level. Yeah. So if you want like, you know, the magma beast is the big level four monster from the cave land. If you want the magma beast, you need to have four cave land already played in your tableau. Mm-hmm. So, like, similar to this in the way that you're just, like, piling up There's some cards of a certain type, yep. you're, like, laying the groundwork by creating the land to, like, get monsters of that type. And so, you know, you're probably going to, as the game goes on, specialize more in some land types than others. And the staff and the secret goals kind of fill the same role that um the heroes and the troop inspection cards kind of play in this game. Um so yeah, I mean, if you like this game and like if you are familiar with a game like Seven Wonders, like you may like Carnival of Monsters. Or if you just want to get in more into card drafting in general, check out Carnival of Monsters or Seven Wonders or um, It's a Wonderful World. They're all kind of the same with some slight variations. Yeah, as far as similar games for me, well, I'm going to take it in a slightly def- different direction. I won't claim that like 
this similarity runs very deep. But what okay. I will say is fans of this other game, I think, would enjoy this game. And by that, I mean, I think fans of Splendor would. Yep. That's what I was would, waiting for you to say. Would enjoy this game. And interesting I mean, that you think the similarity doesn't run deep because I I think it does. Well, it does in some respects, but here's here I guess is what I mean by that. Okay. At their core, the, both of these games are set collection games. But the way you go about it is pretty different, I think. Because the the biggest difference that I see is two really the first is just the tension that we've described in the auction setup of this game where you're playing for this turn but also for your future turns and you're constantly negotiating oh do i spend big this turn or am i like trying to upgrade my coins for the end of the game so that's one difference you don't really have that same impetus in splendor where you're just there's the opportunity cost of which cards you buy, but like your currency is worth the same throughout the whole game. That's right. not changing. Yeah. The other thing that I think is different is that in Splendor, the different classes, like the different colors of gems, don't really have, at least in base, in the traditional game Splendor, the two player game's a little different in this respect. But there isn't really, like, factions in the same way. Like, there aren't scoring differences between the different colors of gems. Where in, in this game, the arithmetic that you're constantly doing on uh, which of these is going to get me more points kind of runs through the whole game in a way that it just doesn't for Splendor. But I think that if you enjoy that kind of game where you're kind of building what you're building and maybe if when you're playing splendor you get a little frustrated when people take the cards you are going for and like you feel blocked a little bit yeah this is a game that the stakes are a little bit lower and you're at far less risk to get blocked and if you, yeah it's it's just a little bit more easier to teach it's a little bit like i think it's more forgiving yeah i think that's why i like this one more than splendor Mm -hmm. as well just like there's less to little frustration of getting blocked out yeah but again that's going to come down to personal preferences about yes um how aggressive people are yeah cool um so let's dive right into final score or, well, I guess initial score is more where this would be right now. Yes. So initial score for me on this is a seven and a half. Okay. And I'm open to revising that upward a bit, depending on how much the expansions add to this. Before I give my number, I just kind of wanted to check my... um bgg collection mm-hmm. um to see like how i've rated other things before i decide if i want to give this a 0.5 or not mm-hmm. and i'm gonna have to round down and give it an eight okay um 
which that's not a bad thing. I feel like I've been giving a lot of eights recently, but I think okay. that's just, you know, that's a four star review. And I think that part of that is, you know, we're, we're reviewing games that we like for the most part. I, I, the reason I gave this an eight and I, I was thinking an 8.5, but I think an eight is because other games that we've talked about that I've given an eight, Carnival of Monsters, Citadels, Hair to Slay, Quacks of Quedlinburg, Azul. And I think that this fits perfectly in that group oh here to slay is a great comparison to this one too yes that is a meaner version though but yes, um <laughs> i think this sits very comfortably in that group and the eight is very respectable like this is a great game um i would definitely play it again like if we weren't starting so late then i might have asked like you know what, let's play another one before we review it mm -hmm. um i think the player count would scale well it looks nice for the most part um i think an eight is is suitable and it, I feel comfortable seeing that and almost like I don't see myself really bumping that up too much unless I really fell in love with this game. Firm thumbs up, I think, from both of us yeah. with potential to solidify. Yeah, yeah, Great. definitely. I'll definitely be keeping an eye out to see what other games this this studio cooks up. Yeah, I'm curious also look like... Um, not just studio, but also the game designer. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, we've gotten into like getting following like what individual designers do and yeah. whether there's kind of like a through line or whether they like really branch out and try new things yeah um but that will be a conversation for another day um for now i think it's time to head back up to the surface yeah put down your axe and let's uh yeah well the one reference we haven't made you know it's off to home we go now because we went to work uh -huh. seven yeah. doors sorry <laughs> <laughs> okay we're just gonna go now bye bye <laughs>